Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I had the opportunity this week to meet with another pastor in our circuit, in our area around us. He's a fairly new pastor, newly ordained second career guy, and, and he just took over kind of the sole pastorship of his church, and he had a question for me. He goes, hey, how do you preach every week? I said, what do you mean? He's like, like every week you have to come up with a new like 25-minute speech, and, and the people are just waiting to hear it, but it's always the same story. It's always about Jesus. Like, it's not going to end like, hey, guess what? This week, you're not forgiven. Like, that's how do you bring fresh material every week? And I laughed and was kind of, you know, giving some tips, but I, I said, you know, every, every year I, I threatened that, that my sermon is just going to be reading Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and then at the end just going, amen, and sitting down, because... If it was good enough for Jesus to preach, seems like it'd be good enough for us, right? Like, who, who do I think I am that I, I should add words to Jesus' sermon? Like, well, that's pretty good. Let me explain that more for you. So, that you, Like, who, who do I think I am adding words to the sermon of Jesus, right? So I shared that with him. But um, anyway, so let's hear some words I'm going to add to Jesus' sermon, shall we? <laughs> but no, let's, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you for this chance to come together and worship. I thank you for the chance to share this message. And though I've written down the words, though my vocal cords will be forming the words, Lord, I pray that they are your words. I pale in comparison to who you are. And so I pray that you will speak. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in each and every one of us, myself included. I submit myself to you, and I pray that we would all be willing to do the same. Lord, be known here. Let your truth be proclaimed through your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing along in our gospel readings, taking a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we covered uh, what is often called the Beatitudes, that section that said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst and righteousness, etc. And Jesus continues on here, but it struck me that perhaps calling it the Sermon on the Mount isn't super accurate. Because the setting, as you may recall, is Jesus is just starting off his public ministry, right? He's been baptized, he went out into the desert, was tempted, he has started gathering disciples, and then it says that he went around and started to gain a following because he was preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he was performing miracles, he was healing people. And what's happening is he's gathering this group that's kind of following him around, and so he notices that, and it says that he goes up to a high place, a mountain, and he sits down and begins to teach his disciples. So this isn't necessarily like a sermon. He's not like, well, this boulder is going to be my pulpit, and here, everybody, here is the te He's just teaching a small group. I kind of liken it to like if you go to a museum and there's a docent giving a tour, right? And you're kind of like, oh, what are, what are they saying? You kind of find yourself skirting along the outside and following the group around, but you're not actually part of the tour, or if you're in like a historic city and there's somebody giving like ghost tours or something, and you're like, well, I didn't pay for the door, but I, they can't stop me from hearing. I'm going to follow along and see what's going on. It's the same kind of thing. There are people who are just kind of on the fringe listening to this teaching of Jesus. So it's not really a sermon on the map, but more so a teaching. But it is the longest singular teaching we have of Jesus within the Gospels. So it's, it's worth noting. I think it's also worth noting that the people who would have gathered around um, the way Jesus gathered this group was by preaching, right? By sharing words of wisdom and by healing, by sharing acts of compassion. 
That was his evangelism technique. He wasn't asking these folks to follow him around. He asked his disciples to follow him. But otherwise, he's just getting people who are interested in what he's doing based on his words of wisdom and his acts of compassion. And boy, I wish that was still every church's evangelism model. That rather than going and like plastering the city with Bible tracts or standing there with a bullhorn telling people, repent you sinners, instead we had shared words of wisdom and acts of compassion and that that would grow the church. But let's get into this teaching. So Jesus says, you are the salts of the world, you are the light of the world, right? And preachers across America are going to say, you Christians, us the church, are the salt. We are the light. We should be out there proclaiming. We should be helping people to be better. We are the ones who bring the zest into the world. Everybody else is just a normal everyday potato until our beautiful, wonderful salt comes along and makes it better. We are better than them. That's the implied thing. But notice who the audience is. Yes, the disciples but also just those who were passing by. They're people who were curious as to what Jesus was teaching. Maybe they've been following for a while. Maybe they're just a friend of a friend who were walking along the road and they followed the crowd. Jesus wasn't necessarily speaking to the church because the church didn't exist yet. What he's speaking to are Jews and Gentiles and probably some skeptics. And so the light and the salt, it's not actually about the people. It's about God. It's about the Holy Spirit being at work. It's God's grace that is the saltiness, that is the light that guides people along. But with that in mind, I want to revisit something from a couple of weeks ago. See, we go through uh, what's called the lectionary series where we have these readings assigned to us rather than a sermon series, which we've done. Um, but within this, you guys didn't even know this, but I was working kind of a, a mini sermon series because all of this stacks up on top of each other. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I gave the illustration about how we, we kind of wander away from the word of God, from the law of God, right? We said, you start here. When Jesus was asked, uh, what is the most important commandment? He said, love God, love people, right? He's, this is it. And if we imagine being this close to the altar, this is as close to what Jesus taught on the law as possible. And we have, you know, the 10 commandments, still God ordained, still God provided. That is still the law of God. And the illustration I gave then was the third commandment honor the Sabbath day, right? And I, I continued along and said, it has to be on this day. It has to look like this. It has to sound like this. You have to dress like this. Now, my hope is within that, you applied one of God's laws that, that kind of works in your life. Because you're thinking, listen, I don't pick when the service times are. I don't pick what kind of music we sing. Uh, maybe I look down on people every now and again, but this, that law, it doesn't super apply to me. But today, we're going to do the same illustration but with, with a one that probably does hit pretty close to home, all right? So we got love God, love people. Fourth commandment. Anybody remember the fourth commandment? Hey, we got some folks here. We got some, some biblical scholars. Honor your mother and father, right? And we understand, yes, honor your mother and father probably applies to not just mommy and daddy, but also all authority, right? So we got, we're still kind of within the range of what God has ordained, okay? Now, what does that mean, to honor your mother and father. Well, it means uh, respecting them, right? So we'll go, still, still good. Uh, it means like following their rules, their house, their rules, right? It means um, listening to their advice, right? Perhaps it even means emulating them and saying, I want to be like them. Well, then as you get to a certain age, perhaps emulating mom and dad means becoming a mother or father, right? 
uh, then it means being a good mother or father, perhaps even having the same rules that they had, the, emulating them, right? And then when you continue on, your, your kids have to be well-behaved because that's, that's part of it. They have to be, they have to be good church-going kids, right? And then you finally get all the way down here and you say, you have to have a good, perfect, well-behaved family. Now, all of those things, none of those are necessarily bad. Those are all good things, but we have to realize how far we have strayed from the actual law that God put out there of mother, honor your mother and father, love God, love people, right? So you're all the way down here. And the issue becomes when you put this stipulation and say, this is what it means to be a good Christian that you have to have a family that is well-behaved, that can sit quietly in church, that, that everybody in your church, every your family is here, that in order to be a good Christian, you have to be all the way down this aisle. Now, last week, because this all stacks on top of each other, last week I talked about that inherent want, that desire, that, that need that we have to think of ourselves as better than others. Right? I talked about that quote our drug of choice right now, our, our drug right now is knowing who we're better than, that sinful desire to look down on people. And if our standard is to be the right kind of Christian, to be a good Christian, you have to have a perfect family, there's a problem, isn't there? Because I know y'all, and ain't none of you got a perfect family. None of us do. That is just the reality. And so if your whole thing is I want to look down on people because I'm better than them and your standard of being better than them is having a perfect, well-behaved, Christian, church-going, that you pray uh, the, the, the large catechism before every meal, whatever, if that's your standard, you're not there. And so what ends up happening is one of two things. And this is a little bit of a generalization, but one of two things happen here. Either... You abandon this. You abandon this sense of morality. You abandon these societal constructs. You, you abandon this concept. And ultimately, you think that means also abandoning the church and Christ. And you walk away from faith. You say, I just can't live up to this standard. I can't do it. Or, perhaps more commonly, <laughs> we lie. We pretend. We create a facade. Right? You may think that you don't do this, but have you ever spent multiple hours and hundreds of dollars trying to get a family portrait where all the kids are looking in the same direction and not crying? Right? Have you ever had that Facebook post like, yeah, little Timmy got into, he's on the baseball team, and like, don't look at where he plays. Like, don't look at how often he plays. Don't look at the grades of the kid at the school that they got into. Don't look at, oh yeah, there's that kid that doesn't come to church. Don't look at those things because my family is together. My family is perfect. My fa everything's great. And maybe it's not the fourth commandment. Maybe it's the first commandment. Maybe, maybe it's the sixth commandment. Maybe it's the eighth commandment. Maybe your fortress that you're building, this facade around yourself, is saying, you know, I'm fine. I don't have any mental health issues. I don't struggle with stuff. My life's pretty good because being a good Christian means having a good life and you can't let people know that you have struggles. There's a problem with that. See, Jesus says to be the city on a hill, to be the light of the world. And I want you to imagine, if you will, a city up on a hill and there's no street lights. And so you use that to set your direction. But if that city on the hill decides, you know what? We have to make sure that we are strong. 
We have to make sure that we are fortified, that we have no weakness. And so they build a fortress around those lights. Suddenly nobody can see. That's what we do. We aren't the city on a hill. We build ourselves as a fortress on a hill, and that helps nobody but ourselves. And even that, we struggle. God challenges us to let our light shine. In order for your light to shine, you have to let some of those walls down. You have to be a little vulnerable. I pray that we are strong enough to be weak, that we are strong enough to admit our shortcomings, to say, yeah, I go to church every Sunday because my family isn't perfect. I go to church every Sunday because I'm not perfect. In fact, you know what? I don't even go to church every Sunday. Sometimes I'm just tired and I don't want to do it. But you know what? That doesn't affect my faith because it's all about love God, love people. I still know who my Savior is and I need a Savior because I'm a broken person. And I know this is difficult. What I'm asking of you, what Jesus is asking of you is incredibly difficult, especially in our modern society that says, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I'll be honest right now. As a pastor, I struggle with this mightily. I've shared before that I have ADD. I have some level of social anxiety. I have a number of struggles. I, I go to counseling to deal with past wounds. All of these things make me who I am. But as a pastor, oh, I think, oh, they can't know that. They can't know my, my authenticities. They can't know my weaknesses. They can't know my struggles. I have to be the big, strong pastor, the fortress that stands up here and proclaims the word of God. No, I'm just a person. I'm a person who struggles just like you with insecurities and doubts. And I, I find myself thinking if I have to stand behind this fortress of morality, then you deal with this imposter syndrome. They're going to find out one day and what's going to happen. That's why the church falls apart isn't because we're honest. It's not because we're authentic. No, the church falls apart because they see past the facade. The world goes, oh, you're telling us that we had to be perfect, but uh, it looks kind of like you're imperfect. So we, as the church, we as Christians have to be strong enough to be weak, to say, yes, I am a broken person, and that, that's why I need a Savior. See, our testimony from our broken lives, that is what helps people along. That's when they say, oh, I'm not down there and neither are you. And so you can help me to navigate these struggles in my life. You can help me to get through this tough time that I'm going through because you've been there and you were bold enough and courageous enough to share that with me. Every single week, I pray that my words, my broken testimony merely complements the word of God, that it is the foundation of God's word, and that I'm able to, to add just a little bit of flavor, a little bit of salt, so that it may hit you better, a little authenticity to show what a real person struggling through this world looks like. And I pray that we're all able to do the same that we can stand upon the firm foundation knowing that we are broken people repaired not by anything that we do, but by what Christ did for us through that perfect life and perfect sacrifice. We are redeemed and beloved children of God, mistakes and hurts all included. So my friends, I pray that your broken testimony can walk alongside the word of God, can point to the grace of Jesus Christ, and can help others to gather on, who can help others to navigate this broken world, this dark world, that they may come to know the hope that has saved 
us. That's the message of Christianity. That's what it means to reflect the light of God, to be the salt of the world. May we be strong enough to be weak in this world. Amen? Amen.